It's so good to be here tonight and sharing with you from God's word. Shall we just pray? Shall we just pray? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your for your for your word in the Bible. We thank you that it's still relevant today and it speaks to us. Lord, we just want to open our ears right now to you, what you have to say to us, Lord. Um, me included, Lord. Speak. Holy Spirit, come. You're the spirit of truth. You're the one who inspired these scriptures, Lord. Uh, so we invite you to have your way in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so good that he is in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You didn't come to listen to me. Yes, I am. You didn't come to listen to me. You came to listen to him. Now, hopefully, I'm being led by him in some way, shape or form, but I'm just a man. All right. And I know, I know that my mouth can get the better of me sometimes, but his, his mouth always speaks wisdom and revelation. All right. The seat of honor, the seat of honor, by the way, please be seated. No, I'm serious. You need to be seated. You just have to pick which seat you'd like. Please stay around to find out what that means. <laughs> the seat of honor. Now, Jesus here, just to recap, we've got Jesus here on the Wednesday before he goes to the cross. Okay. And a recap, he's been attacked on all sides from uh, the religious establishment. Okay. So the, the Pharisees um, questioned him. The Herodians questioned him. The Sadducees questioned him. Um, the teachers of the law questioned him. And every single time, Jesus has, has come out on top with a perfect answer, all right? And, and, and now, and, and we finished last week's message with uh, the words, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love that because when it comes to Jesus, you know, you can ask him all the questions you like. He will give you answers and they'll all be, always be true and, that, and they might not be, they might not feel good when we ask him questions. Like, God, why is this happening in my life? Why is Mother's Day so difficult for me? Why can everyone else celebrate it? You know, and we ask these questions, and he's always got a perfect answer, all right? But then, um, sorry, we ask him questions. He's always got a perfect answer. But when, when he's the one who's asking questions, he's not asking because he needs the answer, is he? He's asking because you and I need the answer. And Jesus, he, he's, he's experienced this onslaught by all these religious leaders and they're testing him. The Passover lamb, right? Jesus Christ, the, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. He's about to be crucified on a cross. He's about to be crucified for your sins and mine. We celebrated that just a moment ago. And he, he has to be a spotless lamb. All right. He had, to, he had to be blameless and spotless and without fault. And, and he's just been through the ringer. He's been tested theologically by all these heavyweights. Okay. And he's answered them perfectly. And now it's his turn. In verse 35, it says, Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, here he is in the temple, he asked them, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? Now, it's really interesting because the Bible pretty much declares that the Messiah will be the son of David. Okay, There's many, many um, prophecies in the Old Testament 
that 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 point to someone in the line of David, King David, um, being the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is just a, a word in Hebrew that means anointed one. Okay, anointed one. Now, what that would do, you might know. Pardon me. You might know how they how they anointed people in the Old Testament. So, for example, if a king was to be um, installed, they would be anointed with oil. And so they get the king in front of people. Or the prophet would be there, and they would they would pour olive oil all over the king's head and anoint him for oil with oil. That sounds really slippery. That sounds like I'd have a tough day being a king if I was shiny and slippery. But it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God being on a person for a particular task. By the way, when I get responses and feedback and body language, it helps the message be really short and punchy. All right? Just a heads up. All right. Good. So King David, okay, he was a shepherd. And then God used him to overcome this guy called Goliath, right? Yes, good. And so and then, then he ended up becoming the king of Israel. Now, um, there was a promise in 2 Samuel. Keep your spot in Mark 12. We're just going to go for a little bit of a wander through the Bible, okay? So first of all, we'll go to 2 Samuel. I don't have it up on the screen, okay, but I'll... Um, share the story with you anyway. 2 Samuel chapter 7. So the second book of Samuel, chapter 7. If you've got it on your smartphone, it's super easy. You're there already. But um, here is King David. He's already king, right? And uh, 2, 2 Samuel 7 verse 1 says this, When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet, Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. The ark of God being the presence of God, right? That's where the presence of God existed in the ark, all right? And so Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. Isn't that true? You know, you can talk about a David and Goliath battle, like in the AFL or whatever. And, and people get it. King David is fairly well known. Verse 10. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you the rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty 
dynasty of kings. He will make a house for you. Now, this is not like a house where we all go to after church tonight, all right, where we live. Hopefully, if, if you don't have a house, put your hand up and we'll provide you one. Um, bricks and mortar, it's, this, is, this is a family, all right? So me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a household, okay? This is not God saying, I'm going to build you a house. It's a family. It's a lineage, all right? You get that? So <clears throat> uh, I will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. Now, this is really where the Messiah image starts coming through, okay, in the Old Testament, okay? He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne, how long? Forever. Not for a lifetime, not for a couple of generations, forever. When does forever end? Never. Exactly. Never ends. Forever and ever, right? Forever. Forever. Okay? Where am I? Verse 14. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, who's speaking here? This is the Lord through the prophet Nathan, right? Okay, so we get this, right? If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever, forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. And so Jesus comes, this, this whole mentality, this whole teaching through God's people through the through the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and all that, they would teach that this Messiah would come, this anointed king who would come and rescue God's people. You see, where Jesus hits in Bethlehem, God's people, the Jews, are under oppression. They're living in their home. They're living in their own land, but it's owned by somebody else and they have to pay taxes. Could you imagine living in a house that you own and having to pay someone else to live there? That's what it was like. And God had promised to send someone, a deliverer, a saviour, a king, a priest, a prophet, all of those offices in one person, a Messiah, the anointed one, to come and rescue God's people. Now, when I was a young fellow, I used to think that Jesus' last name was Christ. Did you? Anyone else? Come on, please, just me. Oh, my goodness, I'm the only weird one here. So Jesus Christ, I thought, you know, but it's actually Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Christ is a Greek, it's the Greek form of Messiah, all right? It's the Greek form of the anointed one, okay? So he is the anointed one, capitals, okay? Get this, David and any other king, any other prophet, priest who was anointed, they would be the anointed one as well. But there was this theme throughout the whole of the Old Testament where one, capital O, would be the anointed one, all right? who would redeem, rescue, deliver, be victorious, okay? So David, so, so Jesus says, why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? Well, because it says it, right? It says it. But let me take you to Jesus' words, and then we'll go to Psalm 110, okay? So have that ready. Jesus says, for David himself speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. All right, so Jesus is now quoting his own book, the Bible, from Psalm uh, 110. So flick there. It should be in your Bible. I have paper. You probably don't. Psalm 110. I'm going to read it out, the whole thing, okay? This is written by David, the king, okay? And he's listening to a conversation taking place between the Lord and his Lord, okay? The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet, a footstool under your feet. Have a look at the two lords, the two words, Lord, right? You notice they're different. You should have a different. You should have the first Lord, all capitals in your Bible, okay? And that's because it's translating a different word for, for Lord, okay? That word there is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh for Lord. It's, he's the, he's, that's his name when, he was, when Moses was delivering the Israelites out of bond, bondage, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord. And the other one is Adonai, two words in Hebrew, Yahweh, Adonai. Can I just translate them for reference for us tonight to make it a lot easier? All right. It's, I'll just, it's easier to think of the father, the son. Okay. So the father said to the son. Okay. So when David is, is talk, is, is, he's writing this psalm, he's listening to a conversation between God the father and God the son. All right. And God the father says to God the son, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies making them a footstool under your feet. What does the sun look like? Imagine imagine the sun sitting at the right hand with a footstool under his feet. What's, what's, how does he feel? How does he, what's he feeling like, do you think? It's, I'm with you. I'm with you. It seems to me like he's not doing a whole lot of work. It's metaphorical, right? He's not literally sitting down at the at, the right hand of the Father. But he, he has done the work. If we read on through this psalm, we see Jesus in, in actual, in, in, in person, really. We see, we see uh, a king, we see a priest, and we see a mighty warrior. We see a king. The Lord will extend, see further on down verse 2, the Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So there's the priest. The father is calling the son a priest. Okay. Then in verse 5, the Lord, that is the son, right? stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings. When his anger erupts, he will punish the nations and fill their lands with corpses. Ouch. He will shatter heads over the whole earth. But he himself will be refreshed from, from brooks along the way. He will be victorious. So there's this imagery of this Messiah. In fact, this psalm is messianic. It's, a, it's one of the prophecies of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, who would come and redeem God's people from all the evil people in the world, from all the evil, okay? So it's talking about this coming one. 
He'd be a king. He'd be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a really strange name. I don't know if anyone knows anyone called Melchizedek. No. Do you? What? That is so cool. Melchizedek was a priest. In the Old Testament, there's a story where Abraham comes across this guy. He's a priest. But in, in the Old Testament, in God's law, priests could only be from the tribe of Levi. And so it's really interesting that, he, he, that Abraham comes across, comes across this special priest who happens to be a king at the same time. There's something enigmatic about this figure, Melchizedek. Um, that means hard to understand. That's just one of my big words that I throw in there sometimes. Um, and Jesus is quoted again and again in the New Testament, where Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's a king, he's a priest, and also he's a victorious warrior. You know, he took up the sword and slayed the giants. He took up the cross. It looks like a sword, doesn't it? And he slayed the giant of sin and death for you and me. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. Even if we die, one day we will. Not today, please. But one day, but we don't need to be afraid because Jesus Christ is a victorious warrior. All right. So that's Psalm 110. Let's go back to Matthew. Uh, sorry, not Matthew. Mark 12, where Jesus is speaking to these people in the temple. He's speaking to all the people that are there. Okay. And he's asking them, why do all the religious people say that the Messiah has to come through David? When David himself says, the Lord says to my Lord. In other words, if this Messiah is coming through David's line, why is David calling him Adonai, Lord? Why is he calling him Lord? David had sons, Solomon, Absalom, heaps of others probably. He had lots of wives. But David doesn't call them this any name. It just says, the Lord said to my Lord, he heard this conversation. And Jesus said he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. So it's true. And so Jesus says to them, how can he be David's son if David says he's the Lord? Okay. Now here's something just to throw out there. I didn't know this. I haven't always known this. And maybe there's someone here tonight and we're not going to judge you. Okay. No one's going to judge you. Jewish people, I didn't get, I didn't understand this, but Jewish people were looking for, and they still are, a lot of, a lot of Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah, right? And the Messiah is going to come as a human, just human, that's it. Not God. The Messiah wasn't to be divine, all right? The Messiah was to be human through David's line, all right? And he was going to bring about a kingdom, all right, an overthrow, and his kingdom would last forever. And there was this idea that this, this man would come and he would be the Messiah and he would deliver God's people. He would be the priest. He would be the king. He would be the victorious warrior. Okay. And so Jesus, he's been alluding to the fact that he is the Messiah through a lot of his teaching, through the miracles that he's been doing, a lot of deliverance. All right. So there's some religious people in the room at the temple and they're watching him. They're listening to the words that he's saying. And he's saying, if, if the Messiah is supposed to be a man, why is he called the Lord? Okay? 
If he's supposed to be a man, why is David saying that he's divine? Since David himself called the Messiah, my Lord, how can the Messiah be human? All right? How can the Messiah be human? That's a great question, Jesus. Matthew, the beginning of Matthew and Matthew 1, and in Luke chapter 3, we see genealogies, right? And the Hebrew people kept genealogies through the temple so that they'd know who was begat by who, all right? Who had whatever. And all the, all the records. Matthew's gospel, it has the genealogy of Jesus going through to... It involves David. If you want to, if you want to go there, let's go there. I'd like to go there. In Matthew's gospel, we see the genealogy of Jesus. It says in it says in verse one of Matthew one, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. All right. So obviously he doesn't have two dads. Just for the concrete thinkers in the room. He's not the son of David and the son of Abraham. This is a this is through the line off, okay? And we get down to verse seven, sorry six, and it says Jesse was the father of King David. There's King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. That was a naughty story. And then Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and it goes further down. And I want you to have a look at verse sixteen. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All right, it's interesting that Jacob's there. Sorry, Joseph's there because Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Who was? Who is? The Holy Spirit. The virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, right? Jesus was born by a woman and um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, Luke's gospel has, a, has, another, has another genealogy, but it's not exactly the same. Isn't that interesting? Would have thought it would be the same. Let's have a look in Luke 6 and, um, sorry, Luke 3, my, my apologies. Verse 23, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Matta. And it goes all the way through and it gets to verse 38. Uh, sorry, not verse 38. Um, verse 31, the end of that was uh, Nathan was the son of David. And then verse 32, David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. These two genealogies are are two genealogies pointing to Jesus, using David as an ancestor. One's going through the line of Mary. One's going through the line of Joseph. All pointing to Jesus, right? So how can can the Messiah be a son of David? Easily. It's, It's biologically possible, right? But. Jesus says, how can he be a son if David says he's the Lord? So, see, this is, this is something new for, for them. Not for us, because we know that Jesus was fully man and fully God. All right, If you've got good theology, you get that. But they didn't understand that. And they were, they were wondering what Jesus was meaning. Because at, on, one, on one level, Jesus is doing amazing miracles, and he's beginning to claim Messiahship as the Messiah, as the coming deliverer. But then, maybe is he saying that he's God as well? Is he saying the Messiah has to be God as well? Is that what he's saying? That's what they're thinking, right? Okay. <clears throat> and 
And if I was, I don't know, I think that the Pharisees are okay with that notion that Jesus might be the Messiah. You know, he might be the Messiah, great, we all, we all get rescued. But I don't think they're okay with Jesus claiming divinity. You see, they don't really, they don't send Jesus to the cross for, uh, for any of his Messiah statements. Have a look in, 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 verse, sorry, in Luke chapter 22. At the end of Luke, we see, or before Jesus goes to the cross, which by the way, is in three days' time, or two days' time, according to our text for today. And at the end of verse, sorry, at the end of Luke, in chapter 22, in verse 66, we see Jesus and he's about to be charged, right? At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Jesus was led before this high council. And they said, tell us, are you the Messiah, right? Are you the Christ? But he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Okay. Verse 70, they all shouted, so are you claiming to be the Son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. In other words, yes, it is as you say. Verse 71, they say, why do we need other witnesses? They said, we ourselves heard him say it. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, John's gospel, it all, they, it's blasphemy. Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, is equal to God, and they send him to the cross. Because they can't get their heads around the idea that a Messiah could be God in flesh. And it's just beautiful. George Lucas could never pen a better plot. Steven Spielberg couldn't pen a better plot. That God would lower himself to become one of us and be the Messiah to deliver us from sin. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful that Peter, the fisherman that Jesus called early on in his, in his ministry, gets up one day in, uh, at the, at, after Jesus rose again and, and went back up to heaven. Peter gets up after hearing a whole lot of people at Pentecost speaking in different strange tongues. Peter gets up and he starts to preach. And he says from verse 22, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. In other words, Jesus from Nazareth. Right, the human being, the man, Jesus from Nazareth, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as we well, as you well know. All right, we know that ticket. Let's go. Let's move on. But God knew what would happen, and His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God raised him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You, will, you have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, says Peter, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, when he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. 
But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him alone, uh, sorry, among the dead, or allow his body to rot in the grave. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, and here's our quote, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So I let, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus. This Jesus, right? What Jesus? The human Jesus. This Jesus. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Both Lord and Messiah. That never, does that, does that ring true to you guys? Like both Lord and Messiah. Not just Lord and Messiah. Both. Both the Messiah, human through David's line, and Lord, creator, before David ever was born. That's an amazing plan that doesn't make sense to me, but it says that God loves me so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life because God put on flesh. He entered into his creation and did what his creation couldn't do to win salvation. Yet we look around the world and we see people trying hard, really striving hard. And it's sad. They're striving hard to find that place of honor, that place of importance, that seat next to God. And that's not going to happen. In fact, that's what Jesus says at the end of his little talk in the temple. He says, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And they just love the attention and the honor. All right? They just love it. They just love getting people's attention. And they long to have those seats. They love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Isn't it interesting that there's two groups here? There's, there's the teachers of the law that love the attention, that promote self, that are greedy, that pretend to be holy, and they end up getting punished, says Jesus. And then there's Jesus. He loves the world. He humbles himself. He's generous by giving his life, and he is truly holy. And he ends up getting exalted and getting the name that's above every other name. It's little wonder that that God wants us all to humble ourselves so that he can lift us up. It's when we strive after those seats of honor, those places of honor in our society, in our church and whatever, that we get humbled. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I want the seat that, that God wants me to have, not the seat that I want to chase after a lot. Please be seated. Oh no, you're, you're seated already. Can I just read some scriptures to you? We'll finish off for tonight. But I want to make sure that you guys are seated. You and I need to choose what seat we want to sit in. Do we want to sit in the man-made seats or do we want to sit in the seat that God gives us? Um, I'm going to read some scriptures to you and hopefully they're encouragement to you. 
Uh, if you're taking notes, here it is. Ephesians 2. Uh, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, but just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Here's the verse. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, united, seated. <laughs> you are seated. You may be seated. In fact, you are seated. And Colossians. Can I read to you Colossians? Because sometimes we just live in this world and you know we, we look at the facts and we use our eyes, but we don't realize where we're seated. We don't realize what position we find ourselves in because of our, our repentance and, and humbling ourselves before God. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, sorry, not 14, verse 1, to four. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Think about things. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I remember a song when I was an early young Christian called Too Heavenly Minded for Any Earthly Use. Ever heard that phrase before? Too heavenly minded for any earthly use is rubbish. Jesus was perfectly heavenly minded and perfectly usable on earth because of that. Because of his awareness of God, with him, he was actually able to be used by God in any and every situation. Every person he met, he knew exactly what to say and how to treat them. We need to think about things like that. All right, Believers, you're believers, you're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are seated in a place of honor in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I just love it. I love it. God made him both. Lord and Christ. Um, I'm not sure where you want to land with that, but I want to encourage you tonight that you know it's one thing to call him your saviour. I know this for sure in my personal life. It's one thing to call him my saviour. It's another thing to call him my Lord. My Lord. Like every thought that I have, is, is it what he would want me to have as a thought? Everything that I do, every action I take, everything on my calendar for this week, every meeting that I'm going to have, is it what he wants me to have? You know, is it going to line up with his will for my life? The way that I speak to others, is it, what he, is it the way he wants me to speak to others? Is he the Lord, like the Lord, you know, the Lord? And is he my Christ? Is he my saviour? Did he save me from my sins? Or do I try and win back God's love by doing stuff? Going to church, ticking the boxes. Maybe that's something you can take home for tonight. I'm going to pray, and then I want to bless, bring a blessing. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you're not finished with any of us. 
We thank you, Lord, for your word. We do pray that uh, what was spoken, what was read, would just resonate in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, um, use it this week in us, through us, to reach the world, Lord. Help us to go from here now, knowing that we are seated with you in heavenly places. And uh, help us to walk in boldness and love this week, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.